0: Coming up, today's guest is the Senior Director of Product Management Enterprise for Outlook Mobile. That's right, from Microsoft. You'll hear how he's been able to grow the Outlook app to over 100 million monthly active users, and you'll want to pay attention to how the team talked to users in their actual homes and how that allowed them to strip out unnecessary features why they focused on one-star reviews, and finally, how they changed the onboarding process to improve user signups. All that and so much more. The most
1: action-packed content from the top mobile experts. This is the App Masters Podcast with Steve P. Young.
0: Fanbytes.com helps you drive downloads for less than $0.50 using Snapchat influencers. They even help one of my clients drive $0.46 CPIs at scale. Learn more at fanbytes.com. We all have developer horror stories, from language barriers to bad code to developing on time. That's why I recommend using b7dev.com. They're affordable fast, and more importantly, trustworthy. Go to b7dev.com. What is up, App Nation? It is Steve P. Young, founder of AppMasters.com. You know, the place you go, the YouTube channel, the podcast, the blog that you go when you want action-packed content in the app business, because I've made a living surrounding myself with intelligent people who just know the app space so well, and today, I've got a phenomenal guest. I'm super excited to have him on because I'm a big user and a big fan of this app. You guys have probably heard of them already, but let me introduce the guest. His name is James Colgan. He is the senior director of product management enterprise for Outlook Mobile. Yes, Outlook. I love this app. This is the email, the calendar app that I use and I love. I can't wait to talk to James, but he's grown this app to over 54, 54 million monthly active members in just six months. All right, we're going to talk about how he did that. But without further ado, James, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Steve. It's a pleasure being here. All right, James. So, you know, I think most people know of Outlook as more of an enterprise app. How did you think of it from a consumer? How did you try to rebrand it into more of a consumer-based app that now I use and absolutely love?
1: Yeah, well, um, well, first of all, from the intro, I really do appreciate that, Steve. Um, we got to 54 million monthly active users um, in about six months, but um, Satya Nadella just announced in the quarterly earnings call just last week that we just topped 100 million monthly active users. So I just wanted to set yes. that stage because, yeah, I know, we're, we're super pumped, very proud of that milestone that we actually met. and the way that you, you get that level of growth, that level of love is, um, cause people will be surprised given that outlook is essentially an enterprise brand that most of our users are actually consumers. So, and, and the way that we actually, uh, built up that user base is, first of all, understanding the context of our users and really having empathy for our users as well. This isn't an app where we've got the operating system, we've got the channel, and therefore people are going to use it because their IT pros told them to use it. This is an app that people use by choice. That's the key thing, understanding that down in our bones and then building up the business from there. And then the other piece of it is is that we understand that Outlook is synonymous with email, but a core piece of what we do within Outlook is calendar. So email may be used less or more depending on the culture and the demographics that you're in. But we know that everybody has to organize their time. Everybody's more and more uh, they have more greater and greater demands on their time. There's more that they're trying to pack into their time. And so focusing in on, the, uh, the email and the calendar and understanding and empathizing with our users was really the starting point for everything that we did.
0: You know, one of the things I loved about that too, and I think you guys, I think you guys were the first ones to incorporate the calendar feature in any like email app, but I know Sunrise was someone that you guys acquired, Microsoft acquired and was one of my favorite calendar apps. How did you guys sort of start thinking about email? Like just talk me with like just the whole process, James, like the empathy stuff, like take me back into like the, the room, the conference room when you said, all right, how do we reimagine Outlook for the consumer? How do we strip out some features? What are some core elements that we definitely want in the app?
1: Yeah. So. Outlook has always had, if you think about Outlook on the desktop, it's always had email and it's always had calendar next to each other and interoperating between the two. And um, what we did was with the acquisition of Sunrise, we saw a fantastic opportunity to take the engineering powerhouse that was the accompli acquisition and then combine that with the extremely um Proficient and experienced product sense that the Sunrise organization brought. That team was absolutely killer with amazing designers. And coupling those two together, we saw that we had amazing potential for growth and delivering value to our customers. Now, what we had to do though was take a step back and say, okay, we're a global brand now, we're a global product. And when all of a sudden, even though the team was extraordinarily international, We have uh, uh, developers and engineers in San Francisco. We have team up in uh, Redmond, uh, Seattle area, obviously being Microsoft, New York. We have a team over in India. We have a team in in China. We needed to take a step back and really start to understand our users in their context. And so what we did is we set up this uh, this long process where we went out to countries in Southeast Asia, countries in in South America. We also had a strong input from, uh, from Europe and also North America and really sat down with users in their homes and said, okay, so how do you communicate and interact with your friends and your colleagues? How do you organize your time? What sort of challenges do you have as you're trying to sort out your weekend or your week or set up Uh, a family gathering a month from now. So we didn't ask people about email. We didn't ask people about calendar. We asked people about their lives. And we did that within their context. We didn't take them into a meeting room and ask them in a sterile environment. We were in their homes. And, you know, we saw the post-its on the fridges, we saw the paper calendars, uh, we asked people to bring up their phones and say, okay, what do you use? And, you know, we, we saw WeChat, we saw WhatsApp, we saw all of these different communication tools, and email was always there. or Sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes email was not present. You know, you have, you have countries and cultures where the first thing that they do is they make a connection with a business contact, and they start WhatsApping backwards and forwards. So we needed to understand that intrinsically and then once we've got that we can say okay now we can step back and say okay what do we need to do to deliver value and help those users solve their particular problems run their lives manage their time and sometimes it was a focus on email and other times it was very much a focus on calendar and that needed to really encompass everything within a user's life we had to think about not only their workspace but also their personal space and how do those those two contexts interact? So we have situations, say, Japan or the United States or over in Europe where there's a very clean delineation between what people do for work and what people do for personal. But there are countries within, within Asia in particular where throughout their day they're finely slicing as they move from the work mode to a personal mode and back to a work mode and a personal mode. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's communication. Sometimes that's organization and time management. So it's understanding that there are different ways to operate. There are different ways of living. How do we incorporate that within the product to again make users more productive, help them manage their time, help give them a sense of control? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a Do you have a, an example of a, maybe a feature that came out of all these conversations?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, one of the key things that we actually did was um, well, there are two things really. First of all, when we we started out, those there. Was, uh, there were, there was a, a a much busier user interface. We had this files component and we had this people component, right? It wasn't just email, calendar, and search because the problem we thought we were trying to solve was it's hard to find people and it's hard to find files as you're emailing backwards and forwards. Mm-hmm. It turns out that those two features weren't as used as much as, as we thought they were going to be used, and we were looking for opportunities to simplify the user experience and get to the core value of the product. So we took a bold move and stripped those out. Is that A lot of discussion, a lot of debate was had before we actually pulled the trigger on that and a lot of testing that was done. But thanks to the, the, uh, the user experience that was made and built upon these core features, we were able to do that with confidence. The other key piece, and this was really when the light bulb switched on for me, was... We, we were of the belief that if, if we want people to use the app more, we want to make it easier to write emails, to compose emails. And that was a hypothesis we were going under. But then when we actually started looking into the data, we saw that people were going into the app. And rather than spending a whole bunch of time in the app writing emails, their average session length was around 22 seconds. And that just blew us away. We're thinking, what are are people doing for just 22 seconds? And what what we realized was that the mobile device, even though you do actually write emails and you do uh, set up calendar invites and events, ostensibly what you're doing is consuming information. You're going down there and you're saying, okay, I've got this meeting. I've got this call I'm going to have with Steve. Did Steve send me an email? And you're scanning through or you're searching, you're finding that email, you're reading, oh, yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, and then if you do re, uh, actually compose or write anything, it's a reply. It's a, it's a simple return. Hey, got it. Can't wait to talk to you. Looking forward to it. See you on Saturday. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that insight, so you take that data insight. And then you take the anecdotal insights that we got from having direct conversations, in-depth conversations with our users, and you combine both of those things. And really, that set the direction for the entire product. It was we're focusing on consumption. We're not looking to extend the amount of time that people use the app. We're trying to make those 22 seconds as valuable and as productive as possible. So that means focus. You focus on the value proposition. You focus on the value that you're delivering. And then the other key piece of it was that it doesn't matter if people are using um, email or various other uh, forms of communication and collaboration. You only have one hour in a day that you need to organize and you need to be productive. And that's where we put a lot of energy in building out the calendar functionality. And you'd be pleased to hear, Steve, that's a strategic uh, focus for us over the next 12 months. We're going to be building upon the foundation that we've got within the calendar experience today and making it even easier and even more delightful to use.
0: I love that. And like I told you before we hit record, like this was the calendar app. Like I loved Sunrise and then the fact that it was incorporated. I even forgot about the Compli integration as well, but that's it. Like Outlook was the, the app that I use for email for calendar. And I love that example that you gave James about just, yeah, you're right. You know, like I'm just going in there sometimes just be like anything important. Nope. Good. Let's go. And I love the one little feature I got to tell our listeners is there's this little feature. Cause I do a lot of scheduling, obviously, with calls, client calls, podcast guests. And I'm always kind of like, hey, you know, are you free? Are you free? I hate doing that, right? And that's why we have a link to schedule like calls with me, a link for podcast scheduling. But sometimes, you know, if it's a client, you know, I'm willing to, like, incorporate into whatever schedule they might have. And what I say is, here's some times I'm available. And then they pick that time, and it goes straight into my calendar. I love that little feature because that takes me, like, maybe 30 seconds to just pop lot sometimes they tap sometimes that I'm available and they can schedule it themselves. That's one feature I absolutely love.
1: Awesome, really glad to hear it. Yeah, that's the type of thing that we're going to be building upon moving forward. Um, and then if you're um, if you're at work and you're on Exchange Online, of course we've got access then to everybody within your organization's calendar. And what you can also do is you're trying to schedule because what you're talking about event or meeting negotiation, right? They get these emails going backwards and forwards. I can't do Tuesday. Does Wednesday work for you? Yeah, Wednesday works, but after 5 p.m. 5 p.m. doesn't work. How about Thursday? The it goes round and around. That is that is a problem that that outlook that we can solve. And so what we've done is as you go in there and you start creating an event, and it's a beautiful experience where you start adding people to a meeting, and automatically we show that, A, if uh, each individual on that meeting is actually available at that time, do they have a conflict? Mm. And B, we start using artificial intelligence to say, hey, you know what? It's a very simple thing to do, but um, nobody's available until Friday at 10 10 a.m. And so you just select 10 a.m., and boom, you send out the invite, everyone... Everyone accepts it. Um, if not, they can reply with an email with the feature you were talking about, Steve, these are times that work for me. Um, and you're very easily able to cut out that negotiation, make sure that you're you're being um, consistent with not only what you're trying to achieve, but being respectful of other people's time as well. And you can very quickly get to sorting out a meeting and then having that meeting and being productive in that meeting. So you know there, there are features that we've got for, uh, the, the consumer, where they're looking from a, a Gmail or an Outlook, Outlook.com perspective. And then we've also got these more in depth AI driven features that are really built on the power of Exchange Online.
0: I love that. Now, James, I want to take it back to a little bit where you guys were like really going to this person's home. Like, I love that, right? Like, I love that tip. I'm definitely going to be starting to use that as well. How do you do that at scale though? Like, and then how long does that process take? Did you guys give yourself a time limit on, okay, we're going to talk to our users as many users as we can for like the next three months. Like, talk to me about that process a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, um, let's see where to start. So, so first of all, it takes a ton of preparation, right? So you want to go in as informed as possible and, and also ensure that you've got a list of various different hypotheses that you're looking to test. You've got ideas about, about the product or you've got ideas about uh, the context, the value, the problems that you're looking to solve. Um, and they need to be extremely structured going on. This is really uh, uh, design research. Uh, you, you're really structured about the conversation that you want to have and you test the questions going in. Um, Because you also don't want to be – you don't want to – you don't want any biases to be either – Uh, caused by the framing of the question, and then also the interpretation of the answer as well. Okay, so there's a ton of preparation that goes in. As big as Microsoft is, we had a very fixed budget and a very fixed timeline. Um, Our our team moves extraordinarily quickly. We are pushing production code to both app stores on a weekly basis. We move very, very fast. And and then the other piece of it is, is that Um, the environment is evolving very quickly. You can't have one of these research programs take months and months and months and then that research sit on a shelf because it'll become stale very, very quickly. Okay, so you start off with a, a ton of preparation. You ensure that you've got a good sampling of the people that you want to talk to. You want to be very targeted. So you're looking at the demographics. You're looking at the locale. You're looking at where they are socioeconomically. OK, so you want to make sure that you're hitting the right people. And then when you're having that conversation, you've got to be as human as possible. The, the number one skill is, is empathy. And you've got to be uh, talking to human to human and really asking about their lives. Don't try to steer the user to to really validate your own premise or your own hypothesis. That's not why you're there. You're there to learn about them. And then you take that away and, and then record it right with high fidelity. And then you take it away and then you, you interpret those um, the, that feedback and try to assimilate that across all of these disparate locations. So again, we had very different feedback as we were talking to uh, users, consumers in Asia as opposed to consumers in South America and again within North America and and Europe. And you end up, if you can think about it, you end up with this Venn diagram, if you will, of how people live their lives. And there are commonalities of problems that you can say, okay, we we can solve that. Um, and then there are other uh, other situations where, you know what, that's, that's not what we're going to try to solve. Um, so for example, you have situations where, um, as, I, as I described earlier, you would have, even within a professional environment, as soon as they, they'd meet up with, uh, with a, a customer or, or a client, they'd start using instant messaging backwards and forwards rather than what we do in, in North America or in Europe, which is you're sending emails um, in a more formal setting. We're not, we're not going to change that. We're not going to break that. But we know that, again, this is where the power of, of Outlook comes in. You still have time that needs to be managed. So, again, you, you're, you're, you're preparing. You're delivering in a very targeted way, in an unbiased way, having a human conversation. And then you're taking away those learnings in, in a very uh, uh, thoughtful way and looking to find patterns within the feedback that you get and focusing in on one, two, or three aspects of the context of the user that you can solve globally. So okay. it's a big problem, but that's, that's how we approach it. And it's End-to-end, it took about three months.
0: Okay. Love that. Okay, that's what I'm thinking too. <laughs> that's about the time frame that I would give it. All right, James, before I move on to the next about uh, how to use data to develop the insights that have a like a big impact on growth, especially when you're going to like 100 million 50 million multi active users. I want to talk to you about that. but Before I do, I want to thank my first sponsor. It is fanbytes.com. They've been a longtime sponsor of the show. As you guys know, if you're looking to work with influencers on Snapchat and now Instagram, go check them out. We've sent over some clients their way and they're spending tons of money on their platform, driving low cost installs. And they're able to do it at scale. And That's the problem too. It's Sometimes like the first two campaigns, it works really well, but then it starts tapering off. You have diminishing returns. But what Fanbytes has done is really come up with an advertisement where it's entertainment plus advertisement. And they've got this formula that really works. And they've got a pool of influencers that allows you to continually grow your app downloads at scale for around. I mean, they've been averaging about 50 cents per CPI. So if you're ready to get started, go check them out. It is Fanbytes. The cool way, the cool geeky way of spelling Bytes, B-Y-T-E-S, fanbytes.com. All right, James, let's move on to like, is there an example of how you use the data to develop these insights? And then like, how do you really use these insights to foster growth? Because it's one thing to like build the features to get it right for this one customer, but then how does that
1: grow? Yeah, so... A lot of the uh, – there are lots of things that you can do to kind of goose growth in the short term, and that can stimulate downloads. But ultimately, for growth, you need you, – as you know better than anybody, you need retention. And to get retention, you need love. And to get love for your app, you need to listen to them, listen to the users, that is. So essentially what we did is we, we started – we set up all sorts of signals, both uh, talking to users directly, as we've talked about before, but then also trying to find as many signals that we can, uh, we can look at scale and finding ways to refer, uh, refine those down. So a lot of your listeners, they're on their app store, and uh, they'll, they'll be getting their user reviews within the app store mm-hmm. itself. And that's, what, that's the, where we started very, very early on. We uh, started aggregating all of those reviews, but the the place to really focus is your one-star reviews. Those are going to be really honest, and they're going to be talking about things that they they find broken or not working with the app. And so what we did is we looked at those one-star reviews, and we categorized them. We looked at things like performance. We looked at onboarding and logging in particular, because if, if users can't get into the app and actually experience the value, then you're wasting your time. So onboarding and logging is very, very important. We start looking at different features. And then we'd have different categories of, of uh, reviews, like how to X, I don't know how to do blah, 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 whatever it happens to be. And then collectively as a team, you know, on a weekly basis, we would sit down with engineering We'd say, okay, this is where we sit with the one-star reviews. And we would we would uh, pass these different feedbacks into actionable tickets, essentially, that would feed directly into engineering. And we start building out solutions to the problems our users were coming into. and And we would push that code out the following week. It was a very bootstrappy type of way to do it, but that's how we went from when we started at around 2.1 stars, and now we're at 4.7 stars. And it starts with the, the tactics that I was talking about, and then you start getting you're layering in more strategic approaches as 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 you go along. So you're tracking this over time. Um and, and key to uh key to all of this is uh team culture. You, everybody has to take responsibility. Everyone is responsible for the types of reviews that we're getting within the app store. It's not just the engineers. It's not just the product management the manager or the, or the designers. It's everybody. And so uh, it's kind of if you see something, say something and be an advocate for a particular issue that you're following up on. So that's, that's super, super tactical. The other piece where we started to get a little bit more strategic is another tool that people are very familiar with. is the NPS score, the Net Promoter Score. And this helped us correlate um, the types of reviews that we're getting in in the App Store uh, with a different signal, where we can see, okay, how are people feeling about the app, and then what what is driving that sentiment. So if they're, if they're giving us a high grade on NPS, we need, we need to understand why. Okay, this is where we're winning, and we need, to, we need to applaud that. But then if they're giving us a low NPS score, what is causing that low NPS score? Is it performance? Is it a particular feature, et cetera? So, again, you don't become reliant on one particular data signal. You look to find various signals and looking at the correlations and where these independent, independent data points meet. So you can truly validate in an objective, non-biased way what you need to do. The, the next piece that we laid on top of that was um, user voice. So another signal that we put in place was we, we integrated user voice into, into the app, and we've got that integrated into all of the Outlook apps now, where uh, essentially you end up having this community that is telling you, okay, this is, this is what you're doing well, but this is what I'd like you to see coming down the line. Um, these are the features that we're expecting. These are the expectations that uh, that the product is is setting for us, and so we got that feedback directly from users. You can you can put your ideas for features within Outlook Mobile today, um, and that idea will go into User Voice, and the community can vote up the uh, that particular suggestion, and we look at that. And we say, OK, out of the top three features that were being asked for on user voice or the top 10, these are the two that we'll implement. Some of them are really big features and some of them are small fixes. And so we prioritize those, again, looking at how we can meet our, our, our users' expectations. Um, we talked about primary research, getting out there and talking to users. Um, and then we also did a tremendous amount on in, in-app in telemetry. OK, so we've talked a lot about the objective or subjective, rather, uh, feedback that you get from users, uh, both in the App Store, with NPS, and then also with User Voice. what we really did was we instrumented the entire app and we started to get a sense of how people are actually using the app. And where we put a tremendous amount of focus, as I mentioned before, is in login, on the onboarding process. Um, there are a number of different uh, startups that I advise. And they will spend 90% of their energy or more just focused on the features within their app and how to get it built. And then how the user actually gets into the app or onto the website, et cetera, is almost like an afterthought. And it's actually the reverse. We actually spent more time looking at the login process and the onboarding process than we did the features for a certain period of time. And we built up a tremendous amount of of uh, of innovation and um, engineering in making that onboarding process easier. So as you are inputting your um, your email address, if you're putting in Gmail or Outlook.com or whatever it happens to be, we know the different protocols and the setup process of those particular um, uh, hosts or, or email servers, and so we we provided a ton of automation to make that whole setup process easier. And so what that meant was we've got a, the discovery process that actually is obviously occurring. We're getting the funnel narrows down to the uh, downloading of the app. And then the conversion rate that we ended up getting as we're going from download to essentially the first email being sent shot up dramatically as we kept on building in greater and greater degrees of automation as this onboarding process. Keep it simple and, and keep each step uh, compelling and automate as much as possible. That delivers the largest number of users as possible into really experiencing the value of your product. And then you can start iterating on that value and, and, and the core differentiation and the problem that you're solving. But until you've actually got that login process and onboarding process down, um, it almost doesn't matter what you have, the number of features that you have. Does that, does that make sense? It maybe yeah, a little absolutely. counterintuitive.
0: No, it, it makes complete sense. It's something that I try to talk a lot about. I mean, the things that we talked a lot about growth, especially early on in days of the podcast, James, but now it's just all about like retention, monetization, like how are you going to keep those users? And I, I love it because uh, as you can tell, I've been a long time user of Outlook that before the onboarding process was, hey, tell us who your email provider is. And then boom, you go into like the Gmail flow or the Outlook flow or the Yahoo flow. It doesn't really matter. But now it's just type in the email, email address. What I want to ask you, James, is how did you know that would actually dramatically increase, you know, download to first email sent? Like, what would what you guys do to test out this hypothesis?
1: So we, uh, we had the telemetry, and we could see exactly which steps people were failing on. Okay. And then we also had a telemetry looking at the uh, behind the scenes, the login, if it was actually succeeding or failing. And there, there were lots of reasons why it could be failing through timeouts, through uh, protocol mismatches, etc. So we 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 saw that in the telemetry. We also saw that um, in the uh, in-app support, which is kind of unique to Outlook Mobile as well. Uh, users were were uh, having issues in getting into the app, and we were finding that out through in-app support. And then it's a, it's engineering one hundred and one. We took what appeared to be a very big gnarly problem, and we broke it down. And we said, okay, first of all, we're gonna we're gonna um, automate for for Gmail um, because those are the largest numbers that we had at the time, and then we're going to uh, do it for uh, for Yahoo uh, because uh, that was the next largest group, and we just went down each of the different protocols um, and and uh, automated to ensure that that. That process was as easy as possible. And then it's a matter of, as you've experienced, you you go in there, you select your provider, you put in your email address and password, and boom, it just works. Yeah. That took us months to actually put in place, all starting from looking at the data and listening to users.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's one of those things. The, for such a big enterprise, I know a lot of the audience is app entrepreneurs, but I know a few that work for really big companies as well. What are you do? What are you using to like, when you talked about the one stars and focusing on that, is there a tool that you're using to kind of manage all the reviews?
1: Oh, wow. The, we, funnily enough, in the early days when we were really focused on that, we were actually doing it manually. (laughs) <laughs> okay. um, we were actually aggregating all of those one-star reviews. I think there are there are tools out there uh, that you can use it in an automated fashion today. Um, I'm trying to remember what I we have used.
0: Are we There's AppBot as a past guest of the podcast as well. That's a good tool that I know like a lot of big companies use as well. Pinterest, PayPal, I, that's
1: what AppBot.co I think I think we maybe used that uh, as well early on. I think they got an integration into into Slack and into uh, that we used as well. Um, yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to remember because, like I say, it's, it's been a while since we had that laser focus on on app reviews. A lot of what we use right now is uh, is NPS, um, and so that we use Delighted. Um, that's been a really good tool for us. Nice.
0: Any other tools you want to mention while we're on the tool t- subject?
1: Delighted. I want to look, look that up right now. Um, let's see. So a lot of what we do now is actually built internally. We started off using a lot of third-party platforms when we were, when we were smaller. Yeah. And then when we got to the, la- the type of scale, you know, with 100 million monthly active users, that you can appreciate the amount of data that we're pulling down is just massive. And so a lot of the tools we have now are internally developed.
0: Well, let's end with this then James, now that you're a hundred million users, like how has your thought process changed from when you were, you know, I don't know what it was when you first started, but now to like, you know, 20 million, 50 million, what are the, like the, I guess the marks where you're like, okay, now we have to rethink, we, you know, like we have to rethink our strategy here. Now we're like, we're at like huge scale. Like what are those benchmarks and how have you rethought your strategy here?
1: Yeah. I mean, basically what it comes down to is working with the entire team and um, leveling up the conversation, essentially, where you're not talking about individual features. So back in the day, a long, long time ago, one of the, uh, one of the big messages that we're getting from user voice, etc., cetera, uh, was uh, I just want to print my email. We're thinking, why does anybody want to print an email from a mobile phone? But apparently they did, and so that was super tactical, very much down there in um, at, at the at the low level, implemented at the particular type of feature. Now, what we're talking about are, are themes, larger and larger themes, and uh, having larger conversations with. So, if we if we think about the enterprise space for a second, um, we've got uh, challenges around uh, uh, privacy. Uh, we've got the GDPR requirements coming in from uh, from Europe. We have um, this challenge with our um, IT counterparts, where they're looking to provide an environment where users can be productive in a bring your own device environment. So we're not in a situation where people go and join a very large corporation and they're provided a smartphone. Um, and I T tells them exactly what they can and cannot do on that smartphone. We've got users are walking into the enterprise with their own device. They want to use their own software that they select from the app store. And uh, the, uh, the teams, the IT teams, need to then work and ensure that uh, the user can use their own personal uh, apps that they decide to use, but ensure that data is not leaked out of the enterprise. And so from that uh, and be as productive as they possibly can in a global environment. So we're talking about these enterprises that are hundreds of thousands of employees working globally, very distributed, time zone differences, et cetera. Again, that's all about communication, email and uh, time management and calendar. So we're, we've still got the features at the core of this conversation. But you're looking at a, a larger scale problem that you're looking to solve, okay? And so that reflects down into a theme say work personal how do we actually help our users understand that now they're in a personal type of a mode and they're sending an email between james and steve hey how's it going and no um no corporate uh intellectual property is 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 in that um is in that communication but then and i'm using a gmail account or an outlook.com account or then we flip into, into uh, a professional environment and I'm emailing, say, a colleague or, or a partner or a client or a customer using my own uh, uh, work email address, Microsoft.com, I need to be, it needs to be clear that I'm doing that. Um, and so I understand the context. I understand the sensitivities. The, the recipient gets the email from Microsoft.com. It doesn't get it from uh, say, an Outlook.com uh, um, address because you've got to have that that professionalism, okay? And so all of that, that larger theme manifests in the user experience, the user interface. How, what is the workflow? What does it look like? How do you make it clear to the user? This is the context within which you're operating. You're all good. There's nothing to worry about Continue your way as being productive as possible. And so you start to get it back to your question. You level up the conversation to larger themes that really solve global problems, and then you drill down from their understanding that context to specific features, user interface and workflows that you then fan out, always keeping in mind that it needs to be as simple and as delightful and as elegant as possible.
0: I love it, James. Is there anything that I missed that you want to talk about before we head over to the big finish?
1: No, this has been a really good conversation. I hope this has been useful to, you, to your users. Um, this has been uh, uh, within Microsoft and the Outlook. It's been um, an overnight success. There's been three years in the making. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> uh, it's, it's all built upon an incredible team. That's really what it comes down to is just an awesome team um, and listening to your users.
0: I think you guys have done a phenomenal job. So it is Outlook. Everybody knows about it, but definitely use it. I mean, it's the one app that I really love because of the integration. I don't need two different apps for email and calendar. Just use one. All right, James. Well, before we hit the big finish, I do want to thank my last sponsor, B7Dev.com. For you guys who have been listening to the show for a very long time, they were one of the first sponsors I ever brought on back in 2013. Yes, I've been doing it for that long. When they are back, they are the app development shop that I use and trust. If you're looking to just get started, or if you're like James and you need to outsource some work that you're like, hey, you know, the engineering is all tied up and you need somebody to just do a couple of different features, well, they'll check them out. It is be the number 7dev.com. They are the affordable. They'll help you from if you're an indie out there and a founder you want to just get started building these core features, well, Hyman's team will help you figure out just like James kind of did with stripping out all the features, figuring out what the right onboarding process is before you even start developing the app. Those are critical steps you must do before you start making the app. Because making the app, frankly, is the easy part. Getting it out there and retaining your users and growing it, that's the hard part. The website, once again, if you're ready to get started, is B, the letter B, the number 7, dev.com, b7dev.com. James, this has been absolutely amazing, but let's go to the big finish. What is one app we definitely have to check out?
1: So, uh, yeah, this, this may not be appropriate for a lot of your users, but I'm a big road biker. Um, and I love the Strava app. Um, that is something that I use every weekend, every time I'm out on my bike. And it's not just a way to log your rides and, and work out how how well you're doing over time. But what I, I've loved is the way that that app has evolved. I would say over the last uh, seven to eight months, they seem to have reinvigorated their, their product team. They're looking at some of their core values that they deliver and they're seeing that riding your bike is a social experience. And so you're seeing that type of 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 context and understanding of the users being built into the user interface and user experience. It's manifesting in features, but it's also manifesting in a lot of the design choices that they're making as well. So um, I think Strava can be used for other things other than than road biking. Um, And it's strange for an enterprise guy to talk about uh, a consumer app like that, but these are the types of apps that we take, uh, we take inspiration from. We, you know, it's, There's no such thing as enterprise software anymore. It's all about the user and the user experience. And you should take experience, uh, innovation and, and inspiration from anywhere. And so I, I highly recommend uh, Strava, whether you're a road biker or you're an app developer, take a look at that app, see what they've done, and see what you can learn from it. I love it. What's a lesson that took you the longest to learn? Wow, that's a hard question. I'm still learning, I think. <laughs> <laughs> the lesson that took me the longest to learn. Um, honestly, I, there there's there are so many uh, lessons. We made so many mistakes, and I think the lesson that took me longest to learn was to be okay making mistakes. Um, you've it's it's the old adage you know fail fast is absolutely true don't wait for perfection until you push push measure learn correct rinse and repeat and be okay with that take take ownership of your failures and and learn from them it's the it's the it's whether you're a product manager an entrepreneur or just a plain old human being it's take ownership of your mistakes and learn from them. It's it's okay to be wrong. I think that's that's the one that's taken the longest time. And we're all, and I'm still learning. I love it. I love it,
0: James. That's a great one to end on. Well, the website or the app is called Outlook. Go get it on your desktop, on your mobile device, Android, everywhere that you want that you use for your phone. James, if the audience wants to learn more about you, or do you want to send them anywhere else,
1: uh, just hit me up on LinkedIn. I, I'm there, and uh, I post every now and then. So yeah, just hit me up on LinkedIn.
0: Awesome. Definitely. Like I tell you, I was super excited to talk to James because it was one of the apps that I absolutely use and love. And it was through these questions about asking what's your favorite app. And they're like, "Outlook, you gotta check it out. If you haven't checked out, Outlook, you gotta go check it out. And I was like, okay, let me check it out. And then I was like, "Whoa, this is, this is really awesome. So the app is outlook. Everybody knows it, but definitely try it out. If you haven't tried it out already, just to learn from all the things that James has talked about. James, thank you so much for taking the time and coming out and doing this.
1: Oh, my pleasure, Steve. It's really been a a joy talking to you. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you at the next chat. Thanks for listening to the App Masters podcast. For show notes and amazing app marketing content, check out appmasters.co.